This podcast is brought to you by Wendy Lowen, the co-author of a new book entitled The Culture Question, How to Create a Workplace Where People Like to Work. Please listen to podcast number 696, where Wendy and Greg speak about the challenges employers face today in improving the engagement of their workforce. The Culture Question helps employers faced with these issues by creating an aligned culture through providing sound advice from the team of experts at Achieve Center for Leadership and Workplace Performance. For more information on the book, please visit their website at www.achievecenter.com. Please enjoy podcast number 696 with author Wendy Lowen, where she discusses her new book, The Culture Question. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voisin, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And David Dibble is on the line with me, joining me from Napa, California. Good day to you, David. How are you? Oh, uh, thank you so much for having me, Greg. And it's a great day up here in Napa. Well, it's a great day anytime you're in California for the most part, unless we're having fires. So those good fires are, those fires, I should say not good fires, but those fires are all gone now. And now it's dealing with lots of nice, beautiful rain to green it back up again. And David Dibble has been on the show before, and he um, was somebody that I knew here in San Diego, and we did some work together way back when. And he notified me just recently that he has a new book out called The New Agreements for Leaders, The Four New Agreements and Seven Simple Tools That Develop Emerging Leaders and Managers and Grow Excellent Organizations. Um, Way back when, uh, podcast number 25, for any of you who are interested, I did with David, and he had a book out called New Agreements in Healthcare. Um, That podcast is still up at Inside Personal Growth, as well as all of our other uh, ways that you can reach us through Stitcher and Spotify and SoundCloud. So if you have interest, podcast 25, New Agreements in Healthcare with David Dibble. But we're going to be speaking with David this morning, and many of you are listening to this for the first time, don't know much about him. The New Agreements for Leadership book, and this one is really his uh, new book out. It's a very simple book. As a matter of fact, on the back, it says this powerful little book you'll discover, and we're going to go through what you're going to discover. But the New Agreements were partially sparked by eight years of work with Don Miguel Ruiz before he wrote the International Selling a best-selling book, The Four Agreements. Although in our time together, he didn't call the work by this name. It was really the study of spiritual science. Ten years prior to meeting Miguel in 1990, when he first came to the U.S., uh, David, he'd been working as an avid student of Miguel's, Don Miguel, both system sciences related to the workplace and spiritual science with a regular spiritual practice. Um He says, and I'm quoting, I believe this pre-work allowed me to get the most from my time with Don Miguel. Uh, David has been an entrepreneur himself. He's been all over the world. He's taught people in corporate America. Hospitals in particular is one of his specialties that he's worked with or the healthcare field, thus the book um, for agreements for healthcare. So David, in this little book, Um, you, in your first chapter, uh, you talk about, and this is really new agreements for leaders. So I want to really emphasize that and that it's on stuck in the past. 
when you talk about doo-doos um, that soil all of us in some way, what are some of the doo-doos that we need to look out for as leaders and to avoid? Because, you know, leadership today uh, is a very challenging thing, and it's very important to allow people to grow in the workplace themselves, have autonomy, and be able to contribute new ideas. So tell us what are all these doo-doos about? Well, Greg, I think um, maybe just backing up just a hair and and kind of looking at just a little bit of history, uh, what we see is that um, in the Western world in particular, uh, we uh, developed a leadership model that really came uh, from uh, the military. And it was the top-down command and control model that became popular uh, back in the Industrial Revolution. And of course, this this is where the boss or the leader, you know, kind of was all knowing, and uh, they would, you know, set the rules and make sure everybody followed the rules and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, you know, we had some success uh, in business uh, using that model over the years. Um, but uh, starting around 1950, um, we had a new model that came in that is called system space management. And uh, this, the reason one model or one paradigm sort of supersedes the next uh, is because it creates more value um, in uh, businesses. So we had the systems-based model came in and created more value um, in uh, the businesses. But for the most part, uh, particularly in you know, Western um, worlds of business, uh, people sort of hung on to the old top-down model. And so what we found is that the doo-doo that would sort of come out of all this were things like setting unrealistic goals and telling people what to do without understanding uh, the systems or the circumstances in which people worked. Uh, micromanagement, of course. Uh, expecting people to work you know, harder and longer to solve problems or increase productivity. This is one that uh, people go crazy when I mention it, but it's certainly due to, and it's performance reviews. Uh, things like employee of the month, um, and probably the worst of all is internal competition. There is nothing that's worse for a business uh, than internal competition. It's way worse than external competition. So these were things that were just sort of done. People didn't think much about them. Uh, it's just the way that uh, businesses worked and the way leadership worked. And I ended up calling it doo-doo because uh, it was, you know, do this, do that, um, and not understanding how things really work um, in the workplace. and understanding the value of people and that sort of thing, um, it, it sort of became one of those things that um, I, I would just describe it as counterproductive as, a, as opposed to productive. Well, and when leaders in this mode of operation, really uh, what needs to be noted is that they're just creating a lot of busy work, as you said. And, and I think, you know, that the consciousness level, the spiritual consciousness level of the employee today is much greater uh, than in days gone past. I mean, you reference the past, <clears throat> you know, that's the industrial age. Um, I think as we have evolved as a species, 
I'd like to say that we've evolved spiritually as well. And I know much of your background is about the spiritual element. And I think if you, one, have a high degree of trust, um, you know, it's uh, it take a long time to hire and and fire fast, right? So in other words, find the right people that fit in the team. Can you make some comments about that, if you would? Uh, yes. Um, I think that, you know, of course, all all companies uh, create cultures, you know, whether you're a, a two-man, you know, outfit or whether you're a large, you know, a Fortune 100 company. Um, we all create cultures. And basically, those, those cultures um, are sort of defined by an emotional energy field that uh, is made up of all of the emotional energy from all of the people that work um, in a particular business. Now, this isn't well known. It's not talked about much, but you can literally walk into the reception area of a company if you just sit quietly for a few minutes. You can feel the culture um, of that company. Most and, definitely. I've, I've been in lots of companies where, you know, it's thick, meaning the air is thick, um, almost like it's hard to breathe. Um, and I know you've been in those kind of companies as well. And uh, the challenge is the communications. Um, you look at it and it seems like people are coming from fear, just what you said. It's the command and control fear mode. Um, and I still see a lot of those today, David. Oh, yes. And it's interesting, you know, when we're sort of stuck uh, as a leader um, in this uh, top-down model. And of course, the rate of change that's occurring in, uh, in the world and in uh, the business environment is accelerating. Uh, there was a, one of my mentors, Buckminster Fuller, called it accelerating acceleration. And I, that's what we're experiencing right now. And so what happens is uh, if you have a uh, fear-based model uh, that is not working uh, as the environment changes, uh, the tendency is to do more of what's not working. And so what we see is in a fear-based environment these days uh, is that we start to create more fear. And so these sort of toxic cultures uh, become more toxic as they sort of hang on to the old ways in this changing environment. Yeah, and when people are that fearful, it, the organization, let me just put it this way, it can become it can become sick, right? And you mentioned in chapter, in your same chapter, that 94% of the results we experience in the workplace are a function of the systems processes in which we work, not the effort of people. What systems and processes do you recommend that leaders should adopt today so that that you know that the efficiencies go up how's that um great question um let me let me just say one thing about this first statement it's a fact and there's lots of data to support this that about 94 percent of the results we experience in the workplace good or poor are a function of the systems and processes in which people work not the efforts of people. Greg, think about how this fact changes how we think about leadership and management. I mean, it's, it's a game changer. Now, 
I could ask the next question, which is how many leaders and managers in, let's just talk about the US right now, but we could talk about basically Western business. How many leaders and managers in the US today know and understand this fact? Probably very few. Yes. I mean, I mean, for practical purposes, almost none. Mm-hmm. And yet here we are that, you know, the, the systems are driving the outcomes that we experience in uh, the workplace. And yet we as leaders and managers are not aware of um, how these systems work. We're not systems literate. We don't know how to optimize those systems so we can set up our people to be maximally successful. Um, we are basically doing more of what's no longer working, which is, you know, that top down, you know, try this, do that, you know, this sort of thing. But this fact changes everything that we have been taught about leadership and management. And so when I look at what does this mean for, I'll call it a, a, a progressive or a transformed leader, it means that we have to know how to number one, create formal systems. We co-create with the people that are closest to the work. And I would throw this in as kind of a plug for the new agreements work that the fastest way to do that is to use the seven tools. Well, and we're going to speak about those here in a minute. And, you know, you provide people this, and I say it, this is like a, uh, the condensed version of the book. It's a very easy read uh, for my listeners um, very well done. You can consume this probably in an hour or less. Now, you state in Chapter 2 that the legacy leadership model that you've been taught is top-down leadership, which we just discussed, which most leaders still practice today. You said that the systems-based management came in as the first paradigm shift from the top-down management. You mentioned that the new agreements model goes beyond the top-down and the systems-based leadership paradigm and create more value in business than the top-down or the partially implemented systems-based model. Can you tell us a little more about how these models and the new agreements for leaders model, if you would? Uh, Yes. Uh, Going back again, we talked a little bit about where the top-down model uh, came from. And uh, around 1950, uh, there was a man named W. Edwards Deming, and he's considered probably the top uh, systems guru ever. Uh, He went to Japan, and he was credited with the turnaround of Japan after World War II. And later on, uh, he came uh, back to America, and he was credited with uh, turning the Ford Motor Company around. Uh, when it was scheduled for bankruptcy in 1980. And what he was teaching was the systems-based leadership and management model. And of course, uh, over the years, uh, there were things that spun out of his uh, pioneering work in this area. And you'll probably remember some of these sort of quality programs that have come, uh, come around you know, over time. There was total quality management, and then there was Six Sigma, and then there was Lean, and then there was Lean Sigma, and there were all these, quotes quality programs. But all of these programs were not really designed to be programs at all. They are actually designed to be leadership models. 
But the problem is when you try to implement uh, these programs into the existing top-down model uh, for leadership and management, they just simply don't work nearly as well as they could or should. Because what's happening is we're sort of jamming this, this systems-based model into the top-down model and, of course, ends up diluting it. And in many cases, uh, it, for a lot of companies, it looks like the failed um, you know, program of the month. So um, I looked at and I said, all right, how can we keep these systems uh, principles intact and somehow make it easy and simple to be able to bring these in and in the process of implementing these systems-based principles, we also could create a transformative process for uh, leaders, managers, and frontline staff to begin to become more systems literate and actually start to begin to see their businesses and their jobs as uh, really um, a, a function of systems as opposed to people coming in and exerting effort to try and get things done. And so- Yeah, the, yeah and I would just yeah. add that, that obviously when you have good, good systems, good procedures, as you said, that statistic earlier, 94% is a result of that it's it's phenomenal when you think about that because you look at that and go well so why the need for all the people right it might be might be where this is really headed but um you know it is really something when you say that now you were about ready to finish up when i threw that comment in <laughs> yeah well um what ha what's happened now is that we, we have a model and a methodology for being able to create a transformation uh, in companies. It's fast, it's simple, yet it's really powerful because it still is keeping its uh, systems-based roots. And I'm calling it the, you know, the no agreements for leaders model, but it's, it's really for anyone that wants to create better businesses, uh, to create a better culture, uh, a more engaged uh, culture uh, in a company. So it solves both the hard uh, issues and uh, the soft issues that we face so much these days in the top-down model. Yeah, and your program, uh, this, this, the new agreements, it's, you know, I've done uh, other interviews and I want to mention this because I think uh, for my listeners, um, uh, David, and there's a whole core group of people, Richard Barrett, Ken Wilbur, Frederick Ludeau, um, when you look at the basic philosophy of um, elevating the consciousness in an organization, that's really what this is about um, at, it, at its core. And in chapter three, you outline the new agreements. Um, what are they? Why are they so important to adopt in our business and our marketplace today? Well, the, uh, the first of the four new agreements is to find your higher purpose for work. And I've always been a believer that, you know, we're down here for some sort of a purpose and it's not, uh, you know, to scrape out a living. Um, and the most important thing for me in this finding of our higher purpose for work is that if we can identify and align with our higher purpose for work, uh, the universe will meet us halfway. It's, it will just begin to manifest. And so I say to people, it's worth the time and the effort 
uh, to, and it's an inner journey to find your higher pur purpose for work. As I say, it's not out there. It's an inner journey, but uh, it's worth, uh, worthwhile to take the time to actually move toward uh, identifying what's your higher purpose and then looking at, okay, how can I move out into the world and basically uh, begin moving toward my higher purpose uh, for work. Number two is to grow and serve your people. This is uh, sort of a combination of uh, servant leadership, um, also realizing that as a leader and manager, there's probably nothing that will be more beneficial for uh, your people in the company than to grow them. Get them in a where you know they're constantly being uh, feeling challenged, and you know they have uh, uh, career paths that get them all excited, and um, realize that you know that's one of our jobs uh, as a leader or, or a good manager is to grow our people. And the third one is to lean into the core problems, and this is all the systems work. And I would just say this: that if you only do this one agreement, lean into the core problems learn how to recreate your systems, how to optimize your systems, uh, how to identify the critical 20% of your systems that are producing 80% of the output you want, and then training your people uh, to, uh, to those principles, your entire company will transform, including the performance. I mean, it's not unusual for people, you know, doing this type of work, systems optimization work, uh, to get returns on investment of 3x to 10x on that investment. It, you know, where are you going to get those kind of returns? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's the best investment that uh, anybody could make, as you say. And you've always been a systems guy. Um, and I think the reason that you've been able to help businesses is, you know, if you really look at the four, as you're stressing, leaning into the core problems, developing the systems is a key. Um, and I, I think you can look at every successful business from Apple to Microsoft, whatever, number one, they usually focus on one very important thing to, to, to get it done. Uh, and two, they do lean into those core problems and everybody's aboard to solve those problems um, mm -hmm. and develop the systems to do it. And every good franchise for that matter, all you got to do is look at a, successful franchise like McDonald's, and they're all systems-based, right? They are. Uh, now, you might not agree, you know, with uh, the type of food that gets produced, you know, in the, right. in the best fast food restaurants. Right. But their systems are so, they're so intact, and they're so honed that literally you can put almost anybody into a McDonald's, and you're going to get the desired outcome, which is a Big Mac that tastes just like a Big Mac anywhere you would go. Right, right. And, consistency. And yeah. It's consistency and it's it's the lowest cost. Uh, when I say it's highest quality, um, what it means is that um, it is, there's going to be very little variation in, um, in the burgers that you get from McDonald's. But it's the same way whether you're making hamburgers or whether you're making a car or whether you're making widgets, it doesn't make any difference. And the same for service businesses, that if you have really tight systems, number one, your costs are going to be much lower. Number two, your quality is going to be much higher. And number three, your customer satisfaction is going to be much higher. Comment if you would for me, this is off the wall question, but uh, 
we're only at number three, folks. So we got one more to go here. But um, that brought up for me something that Peter Drucker once said, and I'm not going to say it exactly the same way he said it because I don't know the quote. But, you know, we are uh, creatures of habit, right? We wake up in the morning. We frequently do the same things. And he said the conundrum is the habit versus the creativity. Comment if you would, because what happens when businesses get rolling on these great systems, um, how do they always look forward, not for the one year, the two year, the three year, but maybe the five year so that they're really staying creative and innovating? Um, That's a great question. But I, I believe that there's two sides to all of this. There's the system side and there's the people side. And they're equally important. You know, we've been talking about uh, why the, uh, the systems are so important to the outcomes that we produce. But here's the thing. Um, you can't create really good systems unless you change your thinking. You just can't. In other words, there has to be a change in mindset, an expansion of mindset at the same time that you are doing uh, the systems work. And creativity, in my opinion, is not necessarily uh, systematic, even though the mind is systematic. What it is, it's a matter of, I believe, actually quieting the mind and then allowing the part of us that knows everything to begin to communicate with us. And this can yeah. be done, this can be done, of course, uh, in large groups as well. And mm-hmm. so I really think that, again, this is more of an internal journey. Um, and it's one, rather than trying to uh, have the mind figure it out, um, it's a matter of quieting the mind and allowing that part of us that really is connected to everything. Uh, to give us the information that we're looking for. I agree. And I think that a practice of contemplation, meditation, taking a walk in the woods, on the beach, whatever it might be, you know, many of us have our epiphanies in those arenas and we have to give ourselves the time to do that. And that is, as you say, to create those new systems that, um, that will replace the old systems usually comes from there. And your last of the new agreements is practice a little every day. Speak of that. Speak about that a bit, if you would. Yes, I, I think uh, anything uh, worth doing in life, uh, any uh, anything that we wish to master, uh, requires uh, practice and regular practice. And so, practice a little every day is absolutely critical because we become what we practice. And you'll see, you know, people that practice being angry get really good at it. Whereas someone who practices being a systems thinker, for instance, is going to get really good at it. Someone who practices uh, compassion is going to get very good at it. So this idea that, you know, have a practice of some kind. Maybe it's around, you know, uh, systems thinking. Maybe it's around... Uh, compassion, maybe it's around service, maybe it's around gratitude. And I, I would say, you know, mix, mix those things together into your own particular practice, which is going to make you a better and more valuable person. That's great advice for 
anyone. And I know as we move through our days, you know, to go, I just did a, a half day course on from success to significance. And uh, that's that old halftime from Bob uh, Buford, Buford. And I think um, everybody's looking for that significance. And I think it's, it comes from those four agreements. And the first one's that purpose. The second one is to grow and serve the people, uh, learn th about the core problems and practice every day. And if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, you'll get there. Now your group, your new agreements leadership model evolved from the law of dissip dissipative structures. Uh, can you explain how this model emerged and why you adopted this kind of explain the dissipative structures, if you would. Yes. Um, the law of dissipative structures is the engine that drives uh, the basically systems optimization. Um, so backing up for just uh, a second, everything in the physical universe is made up of systems and subsystems from the macro to the micro. And there, every system in the in the universe is connected now we know that we are evolving constantly and so is the universe and so the law of dissipative structures which won a nobel prize from Ilya Prigogine in 1977 describes how the universe evolves from a system standpoint and so if people can imagine let's just say that you put your hands together into kind of a little ball in front of you, you'll see that every system in the universe uh, has a certain amount of energy that comes into the system and then a certain amount of energy it can dissipate because systems are dissipative structures. Now, when a system resists change in a changing environment, it requires more complexity to resist that change, which requires more energy coming into the system that it can dissipate. Now, because more energy is coming in that it can dissipate, uh, it becomes stressed. And as it continues to resist change, over time, it becomes very stressed. And finally, the stress has become so great that the system literally flies into a state of chaos and then later reforms into something totally different that can handle the energy coming in and the energy dissipating. So it turns out that the systems in the workplace are exactly like that, and they actually uh, perform and evolve in the workplace in the same way as it does in the universe. But here's the kicker. Um, when these systems become stressed in the workplace because they're resisting change in a changing environment, they pass that stress on to the people that have to work in, that, in those systems. And this stress is passed through all the connections in the various systems. And although the further you get away from the offending system, the less stress there is, it still basically dissipates throughout the organization and uh, to our customers and suppliers. So what we, when we saw this, we thought, ah, um, maybe what we can do is use those stresses to speed change rather than having to go all the way uh, with the law of dissipated structures into the basically the chaotic state. And so it turned out that the seven tools uh, basically sort of reverse engineer the stresses 
that come from these dissipative structures in the workplace that are resisting change. And through that process, we can work our way back to the systems, the 20% of the systems that will give us 80% uh, of the return on investment for systems optimization. And at the same time, uh, we can basically train the people in kind of a transformative process to learn to be systems thinkers and to be able to solve these problems in a systematic way uh, whenever they come up. And yeah. so the law of dissipative structures is basically a bottom-up uh, problem-solving uh, business uh, optimization model. In essence, what you're saying is that, and hopefully I caught that right, that in the reality, David, that the stressors that we have, oftentimes we try and avoid them, but the reality is that that speeds up the process. It's almost like the uh, crystalis with the caterpillar and the butterfly. You can't let it out early. It has to go through the process of digging through that cocoon to actually become the butterfly, because if you do that, you try and help it out, it's going to die. Um, and the reality is, is what you're doing is you're saying these are actually helping. Now you've created these tools, which it's a methodology. It's made up of, you know, this uh, simpler shift of the leadership paradigm. And you call them, and I said, let's discuss them briefly, uh, disruptive discovery, distillation and naming, the 80-20 ranking, the four what number four is right actions and sequencing and five is real-time reporting and six is right management and seven is new agreements facilitation. If you would, let's talk about those. You've said that the ROI on these is uh, three times to 10 times for most companies in one year. So I think these are important uh, tools that you're giving to our listeners uh, that they could implement all or some of these in their company. Yes, uh, thank you. I, um, uh, I'll start with number one, uh, disruptive discovery, or discovery as we call it. Um, it's just a very simple tool uh, where we get uh, people in a room who are familiar with what's really going on uh, in the company. And we basically ask them, you know, what are all your problems and your issues? And we list them. They can be list, uh, listed on a flip chart or they can be listed. You can do it electronically if you want. It doesn't really matter. But um, we're basically getting their description of the stressors they're getting from the systems by putting all these things um, on the wall. The second tool is distillation and naming. And so once we have all these things on the wall, we go in and we say, all right, let's put these things in categories. And so the group does that. We put them in categories. And once we get them in categories, uh, we give them a name. And then we go through to the group and we say, hey, all right, you only get to pick one. We're only going to fix one thing. What's it going to be? And this is really a, one of my favorite parts of uh, using the tools because the group goes crazy normally. What? We've got all these things. And we we want to we fix that too. Da, 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 da. But I just, you let the group figure it out. And it may take, may take a little while, you know, a few minutes but let them come to a consensus on what's the most important thing that they want to fix. And so that becomes issue number one. And then you go back and say, all right, I'm going to give you one more. And they'll go back, <clears throat> excuse me, they'll go back and they'll pick their second and third and fourth. And once we've ranked all those things, we basically run what we call 
we have identified the 20% of the systems that will give us 80% of the outcomes that we're looking for. And then we move on to write actions. And so we say to the group, okay, um, we've identified the system that we're gonna work on or systems, normally be like one or two, and uh, say, what action should we take? What's the right action? And you uh, let the group figure out what the right action will be. And then what we do is it's who will do what by when. And so people are assigned uh, little actions and we go, the whole process has moved forward with little actions taken on a regular basis. And then we put the actions in the right sequence because if you get out of sequence, things really get goofed up and slowed down. So now we have right actions and we have the right sequence. And then we move on to real-time reporting and people go out and they take their actions and so forth and so on. And they come back and they report to the group uh, what they found. And then based on what they report, we will either create new, new actions or we will, in some cases, uh, make that part of what the new system is gonna look like. And then finally, we go to right measurement. And there's an old saying that, you know, anything you can't measure can't be managed. And I think there's, that's mostly true. So we need measurements. So we find out what are the right measurements we need to take to keep the system intact, the new system. And then finally, new agreements facilitation. And this is really a key. Um, if you can learn to facilitate these tools um, and be good at it, you will be a great manager. Well, that's, you've given people a lot and I'm going to tell them, uh, go up to Amazon and get the book, go to David's website. Um, that is a, he's got a plethora of um, blog posts and so on. And that's the new agreements.com. And again, I'll put this link in the blog post as well uh, at inside personal growth for all of our listeners. Now, in kind of wrapping this up, David, in the last chapter, you state that business, the way it's currently being conducted, and this is a big viewpoint, um, is clearly not sustainable. And I would gr agree for many reasons. Number one, probably the biggest one is we have such a shifting economy and shifting demographics and all of these things which are affecting um both positively in some businesses and negatively in other, unless those businesses can reinvent themselves. Now, from a 50,000 foot level, in your estimation, what needs to change to create sustainable businesses in our society today and into the future? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I think an existential uh, question, actually. Uh, I I also do not believe that what we are doing currently is sustainable. Uh, all we have to do is extrapolate, you know, population growth and uh, growth per capita and the use of energy and resources and that sort of thing. And we see that we're quickly running out of planet while at the same time degrading life for pretty much uh, most species on the planet. Now here's something that isn't thought about that much and that's that everything on this planet is connected uh, we're entangled. All of the systems are entangled. Nothing happens in isolation. And our old model uh, is sort of that win-lose model. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, at some point, uh, the chickens are going to come home to roost for everybody. So 
we saw nearly um, what people thought would be a catastrophic uh, systems breakdown in 2007 and 2008 uh, when we had uh, the great financial meltdown. But the interesting thing about that is it only took one domino to basically start the whole thing uh, to come unglued. And so what I think, uh, if I were going to predict something right now, I would say that the first dominoes that could rock what I'll call crony capitalist, um, the crony capitalist economic model that we've sort of morphed into, um, could be climate change, um, or uh, it could be uh, cyber war of some kind. And the thing about this that I think is important is that once it only takes one domino because everything's connected. And, you know, one, something adverse happens, uh, you know, like, you know, for instance, like with one bank and the next thing, you know, all the banks are connected. And so now we've got trouble, you know, in, in all the banks. So um, I'm not wishing us any bad luck here. My, my thought would be, look, let's start now in reworking these systems and getting these things, you know, working the way they, they could basically creating more for less um, and playing win-win and creating synergies as opposed to, you know, trying to figure out how we're going to, uh, you know, get everything, uh, you know, for ourselves. So let's hope get out of that win-lose competitive mindset and move towards synergy and basically creating something that's going to work for everybody. Well, you certainly have enlightened me. You've enlightened our listeners, I'm sure. We do many podcasts on leadership, but for my listeners, um, this small little book is packed solid full of ideas and opportunities for you to implement in your company. It is called The New Agreements for Leaders, The Four New Agreements and the Seven Simple Tools that David was just discussing that develop emerging leaders and managers and grow excellent organizations. David's been doing this for a long time. Uh, you can reach David through his website at thenewagreements.com, thenewagreements.com. Uh, there you will find uh, information about the agreements, uh, speaking engagements that he can do for you, um, corporate, his bio, the blog, and contact. So definitely do that. Uh, David, Thank you so much for being on Inside Personal Growth this morning and imparting some words of wisdom about how we can better our businesses and improve the human capital along the way in the process and make an investment in our people, our processes, um, so that the life inside the business gets a lot better. Uh, thanks so much for being on. Hey, thank you so much, Greg. It's so great to uh, connect with you in this way again. This podcast is brought to you by Cameron Mitchell, the founder of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants and the author of a new book entitled, Yes is the Answer, What is the Question? How Faith in People and a Culture of Hospitality Built a Modern American Restaurant Company. Please listen to podcast number 693.
with Cameron and Greg as they discuss the importance of knowing that your employees are the most important part of any successful business. Cameron has a little red book that all employees get and train with when they join the team. In this book are the core values and five pillars of success for the Cameron Mitchell restaurant chain. Please listen to podcast number 693 and go to www.cameronmitchell.com to learn more about his book and Cameron's philosophy for success. Thanks for listening.